My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 10. Hello, folks. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru, and I am excited because I just found $1,000. That's right. Um, I've been cleaning out a lot of stuff at my mom and dad's house, and um, my mom and dad kept everything that was important to them and everything that they thought was important to us, my brother and myself. And it just so happened that one of the things that they thought was important was a Hot Wheels box. Well, it had been sitting up in the attic for many years. I retrieved the box and saw that, and I said, oh, man, I hope there's some cars in it. I'll open up the box, and out of the, I don't know, 30 or 40 spaces for Hot Wheels, there are only four Hot Wheels in there. And one of them was this, this one I have in my hand, and it's got a missing wheel. That's the only defect at it, but let's see, what's it, what does it say on the bottom? It is a custom Camaro. It's got red line tires, kind of a lime green color with a black top. And I just was wondering, is it possible this is worth something? So I went to eBay and punched in a Camaro, Hot Wheels Camaro, 1967 model, red line tires. Well, there's one on there for sale that doesn't look as good as mine, and it's they're asking uh, $1,050. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean what it's worth. That just means, you know, what, what somebody's pricing it for, right? Just like, you know, if you're trying to determine what your car is worth, you can't really tell what your car is worth by what you see on, you know, on dealer advertising or online. That's what people are asking for something. There's a profit margin built into that, and you know, most dealers are going to try to, you know, get it for a little bit less so that they can make a profit because used car departments are very important to the profitability of new car dealers. Matter of fact, it's typically the most profitable department in a new car dealership, not the service department, not the parts department, not the new car department. No, it's the used car department. So this little used car, this little toy that I used to play with back in the 60s has some value. I just need to find a missing wheel. The left front Tire and wheel is missing. So I don't know whether, you know, I can Google that as well. Am I going to sell it? No, I'm not. I, I just don't do that. If I find something of mine that was a toy or something like that, something I used to play with, if it has value, I keep it because it's more valuable to me emotionally. Now, some people are not like that. Are you like that? Do you keep old stuff or you just say, I don't need it? Let's just get rid of it. Let's keep the garage clean and organized in the basement and all the little cubbies in our house. Let's just make sure that there's nothing superfluous in them. Is that the right word? Well, I used it anyway. But, you know, if you came down and met me, which I encourage you to do, come to Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan in Greenville and uh, just walk in the showroom and say, is Lenny here? You might want to call my cell phone number first or send me a text, ask if I'm present, uh, 423-552-2020. Now, if you're listening to a podcast and you're in Alaska, probably not worth it. But if you are, you know, Johnson, East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, Western North Carolina, I don't know how far somebody would be willing to drive to see me. Maybe if they want to deal on a car, they would. The radio show and podcast listeners get something special. What is it? They get to deal with me, the boss. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one that can make the best deal, so... Anyway, I just wanted to pass that on. Also, uh, this morning, there was a, well, it's something I'm not proud of, but like I said many times on this show, I like to confess, it's a cleansing thing. 
even now I'm not I'm talking about confessing as a car dealer when we mess up because it's an example of what happens to folks you know out there in the world when they go to other dealerships yes we do mess up occasionally you know we'll leave somebody sitting in the service waiting room too long not on purpose you know it's just focus um, we'll do a repair job and it comes back because we miss something it happens now should I be admitting that on you know, to the world? Probably not. But I am. And, you know, I, it's because I'm willing to fix it. Just like I was with this gentleman here today. Um, he came in and um, met me in the showroom, came back to my office. He, well, first he said, can I talk to you a minute? Normally that's a bad sign. And I said, well, sure, come in with me. He said, well, I'm not here to buy anything. I'm here to complain. I said, okay, well, what's the deal? He pulls this bag out of his pocket. And it's a, it's a see-through, you know, like a, a glad bag, whatever you call them. Ziploc. There you go. And so it had uh, four spark plugs in it. And they were, you know, a little charred on the end. You had a little carbon on the end of the spark plugs. And so he says, now, you all supposedly replaced these spark plugs on January the 11th. But yesterday, they pulled these plugs out. Do those look like new spark plugs to you? And I said, well, no. I mean, they're dirty. They don't. But I'd be glad to take them back to my techs and let them look at them. And um, he said, well, I I left your shop, or my my wife left your shop and went to another shop because the vehicle was still running badly. And uh, so they pulled the spark plugs out, and one of, or two of the spark plugs uh, were in pieces. The ceramic had broken on the spark plugs because it's not like it used to be, folks. Where you know, if you had a, a Chevy V8 engine, the spark plugs are right there on the outside. You sp- you pull the wires off, and you can see the tips of the spark plugs. You put a wrench on it, you pull them out. Modern engines aren't like that, especially four cylinders, because you've got double overhead camshafts, and in between that, you go down inside the engine. That's where the spark plugs are. So there's this big hole that's about four to six inches deep. And the spark plugs are at the bottom of that hole. So you've got to stick a, a socket wrench with an extension on it all the way down there to break those loose. Or to, when you're putting them in, to tighten them up. Well, they broke. Now, my technician who put them in probably should have felt something. You know, I'm thinking that when he's tightening them down, he should have felt that, you know, there was some crunchiness going on there. I don't know. But anyway, two of the spark plugs were broken. I think it was two. Enough of them were broken to make the thing run terribly. Did he test drive the car? I don't know that either. Obviously, if he did test drive it, it hadn't started uh, misfiring yet. But if it had started misfiring and he test drove it, then we should have never given that car back to the customer. Anyway, they get in the car, take it to another shop. The other shop pulls the spark plugs out. Two of them are broken and said, and replaced the spark plugs and charged him, I don't know, $130 or so to replace the spark plugs. So he comes back. He wants his money back. Should I give him his money back? Absolutely. You know, when we make a mistake, we've got to stand up to it. It's a good thing that that um, he came to see me. I know, I've known this guy for a lot of years. He, he was here when we came to Greenville in 1971. And so he had, also we replaced an oxygen sensor. His total bill was $442. For the oxygen sensor, the labor, the diagnostic, and replacing the spark plugs. May have replaced some wire. No, we didn't replace wires. Sounds like a lot of money. It is. You know, it's not cheap to work on vehicles. 
The O2 sensor was the most expensive part. So anyway, we look at that. I go back to show them to my techs, and I said, uh, one of my master Ford techs, I had him look at the spark plugs, and I said, are these new or old plugs? He said, well, he looked at them real close. He said, these are brand new plugs. Well, I said, why are they so dirty? He says, does the car have a lot of miles on it? And I said, yes, it does, 113,000. He said, well, and plus if it was misfiring, it would have made them look even worse. And I said, well, do you think it was misfiring? Yes. Why do you think it was misfiring? Because the plugs were broken. Okay. So we also replaced the O2 sensor. Okay, well, that that this all makes sense then. So these are new plugs. So I came back and showed, talked to the customer, sat down, where my mechanic said that these are new plugs. See, he was doubting it that they were new plugs, and I showed him why. I brought with me, I stopped in the parts department and brought with me a brand-new spark plug, and I had him look at the tips real close. I said, look at, look at the, uh, the connectors here. Um, they're identical. There's no wear on this spark plug. And then I had a picture of a, a, what a, an old spark plug looks like. And he looked at it, and he said, yeah, I see the difference. I said, so the, we did replace the spark plugs. We just probably broke them when we put them in. And I'm really sorry about that. And um, I hope you'll give us another opportunity. So I went into the uh, office. I gave the bill to my daughter, Abby, and I said, Abby, we need to write this gentleman a check. And so she wrote the check for the full amount. I gave him all of his money back. Now, should I have given him his money back for his O2 sensor? I think so because of the inconvenience. And because, you know, it, it's just life is complicated and we've got we all got busy schedules and we don't have time, you know, to mess around. We, we want to get our cars in, get them fixed. And this was an inconvenience. And I was very sorry for that. So anyway, we talked a little bit further about life and, you know, how how I'm going to correct that from here. He said, what happens now? I said, well, we will. We, this goes into something called a policy adjustment account. So we actually sit down with our technicians at the end of the month, and if we have any comebacks for any reason, we go we review those comebacks with them. And so this will be brought up with that technician, and, and we'll probably put something in his file, you know, just so we can keep track. Normally this guy doesn't make many mistakes, so we're not going to be too hard on him. But there was a failure here somewhere. And it could have been just he didn't test drive it or he didn't feel it when he cranked it down. I don't care. Well, I do care what the cause was because I don't want it to happen again. Um, my most important concern, as I always say on this radio show, is maintain the relationship. So this gentleman handled this complaint beautifully. He came into dealership, very respectful, very nice, sat down, and, and he said he had a problem. And he reviewed it with me. And he was willing to listen. You know, some people just, they get this, this attitude like anything that this person says to me is going to be a lie. And I don't, I don't think that's the right attitude. I think you ought to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And he did. Granted, I did have some um, history with this gentleman. I mean, we've known each other for many, many years. Not like on a first-name buddy-buddy basis, but he knows who I am and I know who he is. And um, I think he'll come back, and I think the lady who, I mean, his wife who drives the car will come back. I gave him my business card, and I said, this is my cell phone number, and if you have any other issues in the future, don't call anybody else. Just call me, and if you need a loaner car for any reason, call me. So that's what you got to do in this day and time. You've got to stand above the crowd. You've got to step up 
whenever you have an issue like that. And and I learn I, like I told him, and I tell you guys all the time, it's a learning experience for me. Anybody that isn't willing to listen to a complaint is somebody that doesn't care about improving. Because how do you know if you've messed up if somebody doesn't complain? What if he had just left, never come back, became somebody else's customer, and then went out there and badmouthed us all the time? That's not doing us any good. I wish more businesses would think that way and would treat their customers with a little bit more respect. A lot more respect. Okay, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. One of the things I don't talk about enough is credit issues that that people have. You know, if you've got bad credit, uh, you lose a lot of your options in life. You know, if you don't pay your bills on time, if you are irresponsible with your money, if you carry very large credit card balances and don't pay them down, you know, if you are late on car payments, late on your mortgage is one of the worst. The bankers view somebody being late on their mortgage is the worst thing. I saw an Experian commercial the other day. They said that they are going to start counting uh, rent payers as a sign of credit. You know, if you pay your rent on time, that that will, count, that will help boost your credit score. They're looking at anything they can do to help young people start to focus on on improving their credit. Because if you have bad credit, um, you are placed in a box, basically. So what is bad credit? Well, as far as numbers is concerned, it's probably any... Marginal credit is is like anything under a, a 680. Now, that's a credit score. And um, you may be able to go online and check what your credit score is. You know, if you're at 700 or better, you got nothing to worry about. You know, when you get down in the sixes, you start paying more interest or higher interest rates. So just to give you an example, if you're a 750 beacon score, I think the highest number is a, is a 800. Um, so if you're 800, you're gold, as we say in the car business. But if you're anything over a 700, you can pretty much finance and get anything you want to at a good rate. So we've actually had people come in to get financed, and they've got terrible credit, and then they come in to get uh, the 0% financing and they don't qualify for it because their Beacon score is not high enough. And like I say, the Beacon score is a, is a reflection of the way you manage your finances. I know that seems really obvious to some of you, but to a lot of people, they just don't think about, like, for example, if they don't pay a power bill or a cable bill, if that gets charged off the... the um, Cable company uh, does a report to the credit bureau and says that we have charged off this uh, $58 account. I mean, you could have probably come up with $58, but you just forgot. And that's why it's important to pull your credit report. Now, you can pull one credit report per, per year for free. If you want credit advice, if you want to really dive deeply into your credit, then call me. We'll pull your credit with your permission. And we'll tell you what you need to do in order to fix it. Uh, it may be really, really obvious and something you just, you know, you didn't realize that you had this uh, hospital bill that was charged off or a, or a cable bill that wasn't paid and charged off or a cell phone bill that was perpetually late or a car payment. You know, if you're making car payments on a car and uh, you miss one, let's say that you, you couldn't pay uh, uh, November. So you skip November and you pay December. And then you pay really good from then on. 
Well, unfortunately, because you skip November, you're you're always going to be 30 days late. And so your credit bureau report is going to show 30 days past due for the, all the rest of the payments that you make on that car. Isn't that sad? Now, you were a really good person or a responsible debt payer for all those other jobs, but you just missed that one. Well, you got to catch up that one. So at some point, you're going to have to pay two at the same time and get that fixed. Um, that happens to so many people. We see that on a lot of cr- uh, credit reports. The other thing that, that really hurts you are you know carrying over uh, revolving credit uh, balances. Um, not install- Installment credit is like a monthly payment, like on a car. That's an installment credit. A revolving credit is a credit card. Um, and a credit card is kind of like a line of credit that you would go to the bank and, uh, you know, most credit cards have limits. You may have a credit card that has a $10,000 limit. You may have a, um, you know, just a bank card that is a, a, associated with a checking account. And, and the limit is what you have in your checking account. But most other credit cards are actually credit cards, not debit cards. They, they are like a line of credit. And if you never pay it off and you're paying like, I don't know, 21 to 30% interest every month, the credit bureau looks at that and, and really gives you a hard time as far as the score is concerned. They beat you up for it. And uh, so you want to get those credit cards paid off, well, you know, especially because the interest rate is so high. It's ridiculous. So you know, it, don't ever charge more on a credit card than what you can afford to pay off that same month. Don't carry over balances. And I know that's just about impossible for some people. But uh, I think it's because of, of other life decisions, financial decisions that they make that cause them to have to carry these big balances. Maybe you just need to forego shopping at Cato for one month. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, it's real tempting to go shopping when you don't have any money and you've got uh, $5,000 left as far as your balance on your credit card or as far as your credit line. Just don't fall in that trap and really don't have more than one or two credit cards. I have an American Express card and a Visa card. And if you have a whole bunch of credit cards and they all are showing up on your credit report, that's going to hurt you. Another thing that hurts you is debt to income. And that makes sense. I mean, if you have a whole bunch of debt, if you add up all the monthly payments that you have to make, that you're required to make, and compare that to your income. A general rule of thumb is to keep your overall debt-to-income ratio at or below 43%. So that means that 43% of your income is going out to pay bills. So what does that leave you to pay for? Well, you you still got to pay utilities, you know, because that's not on a credit report. You've got to be able to pay your, you know, buy groceries and pay gasoline and stuff like that. So you know, if you've got a bunch of credit card debt on there that you have pretty large minimum payments that you have to make, and then you have some big car loans and a mortgage and so forth, all that stuff that is going to show up on your credit report is going to be compared to your income. And the bank will turn you down for a loan because of that. However, if you have really good job time, meaning that you have been on the same job for five years or more, and uh, you have good stability because banks look for stability, as a part of their ability to pay. Um, you know, they can't see your character on a credit report. Um, they can see a lack of character in terms of how you feel about paying your bills. But, you know, I say that, and that's not really fair, because I have seen some folks 
that got in financial trouble because of medical situations or because of a divorce or something. I mean, circumstances are going to happen that can affect your credit. And, um, you know, once you get, get your feet back under you and you reestablish yourself, it may take three or four years to do that. But once you do that, the banks can see that behavior as a result of your credit report. One of the best things you can do, other than having a car guy like me to help you with car decisions, is to have a banker, somebody that, that knows you, knows your situation. You've got money deposited in their bank. They see that you have a, uh, a tendency to want to save some money every now and then. You know, they can, they can check your behavior based on your banking. And they will work with you. If they know you and they learn learn about your character, if they know about your family and stuff like that, that'll help. Now, if you have no connections, then don't expect any help. This world is cruel when it comes to that, and you've just got to be prepared for it and and do your uh, do what you need to do to, to look responsible. And then you'll get you'll be able to buy something. If you really need a car, you'll be able to buy it. You'll be able to get a good, get a good interest rate, and life will be good. All right, I'll be back in just a minute. I've gone out to high schools and junior high schools and talked about credit before. And a lot of these people have, or these youngsters, have seen their parents and how they handled their lives. You know, they're, the kids know. You know, they listen. They hear the, the arguments at the table. They hear mom or dad talking about how tight money is or something like that. And so, you know, what lessons are you teaching your kids are you teaching them to be responsible? Maybe you need to learn, learn, learn the lesson first and then teach them to be responsible with money because most of the young kids that I talk to have no clue. They couldn't balance a, a checkbook or, or a savings account or anything if they, their life depended on it because they've never had to do it. You know, it's all about that credit card. They think that as long as you have that credit card, that plastic, you can do whatever you want to do. You can buy whatever you want to buy. But there always comes a day where you have to settle up, and a lot of people aren't very good at that. So teach your kids uh, how to be sound financial folks, you know, how to manage their money. Um, don't just give them everything they want, right? Make them work for it. Make sure they know where that money comes from. It's not, uh, it doesn't fall from heaven like pennies. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I'll see you next time.